0: Hello, awesome people around the globe. After nearly two years away, I'm thrilled to be back in the studio and who better to kick things off with than the phenomenal Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, the renowned hypertrophy scientist, a true master in muscle building and, as he often puts it, a nerdy scientist. I've been following Brad's work for many years and had the privilege of hosting him at two of our European seminars. This time around, I wanted to take a different angle. Sure. We delve into hypertrophy, training techniques, and even bust some stubborn fitness industry myths. But what really piqued my curiosity was Brad's journey. From working as a hands-on personal trainer to emerging as one of the foremost scientists in the fitness industry. His story is not just fascinating, it's a beacon of inspiration urging you to always strive for greatness and keep an eye out for those life altering opportunities. So have a listen. It's about that time again. And to restart my podcast, I couldn't imagine a better guest to have. And here it is. Uh, Here he is, the phenomenal, the extraordinary Dr. Brad Schoenfeld. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much, Alice. And it's my pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I was hoping, you know, for you to say yes, and luckily you did, uh, to restart everything that I'm doing. And the podcast is going out live finally. I was looking forward to that to that date for quite a long time. So, Brad, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been a it's been a while since we've been together. It's been more than a year which is not something I'm proud of. Uh, I promised that I would visit you in New York. I I didn't manage until now, but this promise still holds up because if if I wouldn't be somehow not able to do it, Yasmina would probably drag me to New York just to be there, you know, because New York is on our uh, bucket list. We haven't been yet, so yeah.
1: Well, you've been a gracious host when I've been in Slovenia and I want to return the favor. So when you come, I'm happy to show you around.
0: Brett, I wanted to talk to you about not only hypertrophy today, which you are definitely the undisputed expert on, but when I was remembering and I was uh, telling you that a while ago and I was writing to you today, that one of the main reasons why I started to follow you on social media and reading more of what you are putting out there especially uh, back then your webpage, you know, look great naked. I think the name was quite catchy as well. <laughs> so kudos for that. But you've been one of us. You've been a trainer yourself and then transitioned into the scientific fields. And I wanted to follow someone that was in the trenches, that was knowing exactly what he is talking about, not just from the theory aspect, but, you know, from the... From the practical point of view how how did it come to that i mean if you can tell me more about that story i, I would be really interesting in that
1: yeah so i took a very circuitous route to uh to become a an educator researcher uh i started out just training uh shortly after college uh, because i was a real thin skinny guy who just was never happy with my physique and uh, I saw quite good gains early on, and it just, you know, I, I got excited, and it just really spurred me to continue uh, training. And, uh, you know, when I started out, I was following the magazines, I was following the routines of bodybuilders, and, you know, I had, certainly I didn't have great genetics, but I had decent enough genetics where I did, no matter what I was going to do and I was training hard, I got some results. But I did find that uh, I quickly, relatively quickly, within a year or so, started to plateau. And it started me on a quest to to be learning. And this goes back now. This was before the internet had such, we had such great access on the internet to all the information we have. Um, so uh, around that time, too, when I started really getting into training, I started to then, I was kind of at a crossroads in my career where I didn't know I was out of college and I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And um, I decided that I thought being a trainer would be a good way to go. So um, by the time I was around 30, a little before, I believe I uh, started my own training center. Before that, I was doing some training on the side and just training people in their homes. But um, I don't know how long you want to go with this, but I mean, it's a windy (laughs) uh, story. But anyway, but I'll try to make this somewhat short. Um, I started, uh, I uh, opened my own training center. I started training people. And I also went into bodybuilding. I I decided at a certain point that I wanted to bodybuild. Um, And that got me really interested in the science of it. And there really wasn't a lot of research. I ended up, it was kind of interesting that I started looking at the research and not much of it was on hypertrophy. It was most of the exercise science research at the time. This was around mid 90s uh was on uh strength and conditioning. it was on getting stronger. It was on athletic training for athletics and kind of uh hypertrophy was the bastard child of uh, of strength and conditioning. they so, some studies looked at it simply because it enhanced uh, strength. there was a relationship. So, um, you know, I, I learned what I could from it and tried to extrapolate, but um, it just sent me down this rabbit hole where I started really getting more interested. And then around uh, the early part of the 2000s or early part of the turn of the century, I got a, uh, a job teaching in a vocational school for personal trainers. And uh, that really got me hooked on education uh and i started you know kind of training personal training was somewhat old hat at that point it kind of things were getting routine with me and i wanted new challenges and uh i just really loved uh teaching so this was again in a vocational school where on the weekends i was doing it and i decided to go back for my master's to get a master's degree in exercise science and uh once i got my master's degree i got a uh i i Uh, went I took jobs uh, several of them teaching as an adjunct in colleges and uh, once I did that I was hooked and then I said you know what this was around 2009 and uh, I then decided to go back for my PhD because I wanted to pursue it and uh, one thing led to another I sold my training center in 2011 but I mean I was a personal trainer for 15 plus years Hmm. Uh, and
0: uh, basically you were a bro
1: I was a bro. (laughs) I started out that basically watching um, Pumping Iron. The movie Pumping Iron was a huge inspiration, and you know this. I think you probably remember some of this. But we had magazines that were delivered to mailboxes: Flex Magazine, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Muscular Development. Those were my. Those were my we my monthly bibles. I'd go in and I'd like look at the routines of my favorite bodybuilders, and I'd do. Lee Labrada's arm routine and Lee Haney's leg routine and Rich Gasparri's chest routine, cool. and it was uh, you know that's how I developed uh, the my early phases of programming and certainly I've evolved from there.
0: It's it's so funny when when I'm teaching today and I'm trying to talk about the old days, you know, because we are probably generation that is still remembering windows 95 (laughs) you know when the internet just got started started. (laughs) and yeah of course we we all were looking just into magazines there was nothing else you know when and when we are talking about education today it's it's a whole different level than we've got in the onset i've been a trainer myself for over 20 years as well you know and i was i started teaching quite a while ago uh vocational teaching as you did and I just enjoy it. But talking about the old days, it just you know it gives me goosebumps because I still have some of the old magazines uh, that I truly hope that one of my daughters might pick them up sometimes and ask me, "Hey, Dad, what's about that?" But you know, even if not, I have them for my own. But it's 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 a fun thing, right? How we can see new challenges just deriving from that because it's waking our interest, in, uh, our interest in that and. Do you think that the youth that you see today in personal training is getting the same way as we did, you know, getting interested, getting hooked with something like that? There are no magazines anymore. All they see is Instagram.
1: Yeah, so I I think it's a double-edged sword. Uh, The Internet has paved the way for the free exchange of information in ways that we never could have dreamed of in the not you know going back to windows to the 90s windows 95 days <laughs> um which i remember well um but the problem is is that is sifting through the bullshit like understanding what is quality information and what is not mm-hmm. and i think that becomes the problem for a lot of uh up-and-comers people who are starting is that they really don't know enough to um to determine what is bullshit from what is, is quality information. So certainly if you know where to look, I wish I had access to a lot of the information that we have now back then. Um, But you need to know how to go about doing it. And I think a lot of up and coming trainers and, and just fitness people involved in fitness are getting information from the wrong places. I mean, liver King has, I don't know what he has now, but he has like 3 million followers and people were you know gobbling that stuff up so uh anyone who could take shirtless photos and looks jack uh, or women that pose in, in bikini thongs uh with good butts uh they can they're supposedly experts and uh yeah. but look I, I in fairness too i uh the information i got was purely from the field i didn't i started trying to get into uh research as we got as i got going but just wasn't freely available. i had to go i i would make trips to the local college library to pull out uh journals from the shelves at the college library you know now you just go on uh pubmed and you can pretty much get whatever you want
0: that is a good thing but as you pointed out the problem is how to know where to look how to know what a quality resource is and what isn't and i believe that even with the certifications on a market today, how do you look at those since you were teaching yourself? From from my experience, the reason why I got into teaching was that when, when I was having my own gym, I was looking out for trainers and we couldn't find trainers that would be skilled enough you know, to a standard that I wanted to have in my gym. So we started to uh, first organize internships for them and so on. You you know teach them to a degree where we wanted to have them. And then out of that, we've developed into becoming a vocational education provider for personal trainers. So especially in the US market, I believe the problem that we have is everything is shifting online. So how can you be a good trainer without stepping a foot into the gym?
1: Well, you can't. I, I, I would say this, that regardless of whether it was 30 years ago or now, Certifications uh, are really just there to show that someone has a basic level of knowledge, uh, di- of didactic now, you know, uh, yeah. understanding of principles of, of exercise. Um, and again, depending on the certification, it can be very basic. Some have better, uh, obviously, better quality information than others, but certainly none of the certifications are designed to make you a good trainer. Uh, They're there, again, to give just a piece of paper that says, hey, I've passed a basic level of competency uh, from Mm -hmm. a knowledge standpoint. But ultimately, being a good trainer involves being in the field and, and like you said, uh, training people. And unfortunately, if you just go in and start training people without knowing what good training is about, you can keep doing the same thing wrong for just because you're in the field, too. You can, you can be a terrible trainer and just, if you start as a terrible trainer and never make get more knowledge as to what the proper principles are, you'll be a, a terrible trainer for 30 years, uh, which, which unfortunately happens. So I completely agree there should be, like you said, some type of internships. But even then, I mean, who do you get the internship with? How do you assure if you get the internship with someone who is not a good trainer? Uh, and, and again, in my opinion, from what I've seen in the gym, uh, I think there are more unqualified trainers generally than qual at least in my opinion, than qualified trainers. So with that said, uh, how how would someone who needs an internship and then are the quality, generally the quality trainers, do they want someone tagging along with them? So it's a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that is something that uh, really is a challenge for the field itself. Uh, obviously, personal training has the ability to have huge benefits because most people don't know what they're doing and seeking out someone qualified. uh, So I I would say this, um, going to someone that has a degree in exercise science is a step, generally a step above, Uh, not always. uh, And and there's certainly plenty of people that don't have degrees that I think are very good trainers, excellent trainers. But I think if you just don't know, uh, like I would just say my undergrad students, they're they're going to generally be a cut above all other things being equal. you just take one of my undergrad students or when I want to say my one of the undergrad students yeah. from our school and put them up randomly against another person who's another trainer who doesn't have an undergrad uh, doesn't have a degree that all things being equal you're going to get the better quality through the someone who has a degree. but again, without the experience, so we do have some practical like in our program for the undergrad students, they go through practical, you know, they're, they're taken into the gym, but the amount of actual practical um, experience they get in that environment is limited. We do have internships where they go, uh, those who want to be trainers can go and get 120 hours of experience. But again, who are they getting? We can't ensure that they're getting that from a good trainer. So again, it, it, it is a problem uh, that needs to be dealt with.
0: I was, but when we were building the Peter Business Academy, my idea was, you know, in a way, ideological, because I wanted to incorporate a lot of practical sessions, a lot of workshops into the certification. Um, unfortunately, in the US, if you want to get accredited, that is not the case, because the accreditation itself, uh, it's, it's designed that you have to offer an exam-only option, for example. which is, in my opinion, totally detrimental to what we are trying to achieve. And luckily in Europe, it's a bit different. In the Middle East, uh, it's again a bit different, which I'm happy about it. So we are having at our basic level over, over 50 hours of practical workshops in the gym setting where we get them not only through, look, this is how the exercise should look like, but through training and training themselves, training others in between them and so on i i'm not pretending this is you know like really something a lot but it's way better than it used to be and yeah, look I, I i was
1: gonna say i think uh the, the online uh, invasion has hit us it's happened in, in universities as well yeah. um if there could you know if if it has to be online could you have a camera in a gym and um you know have practical training now again if someone's behind the camera are they are they necessarily watching do they really get the feel i would say it's better than nothing mm-hmm. but i think that actually having hands-on experience obviously is the best way to to produce quality trainers
0: but even the the literature that is still presented i see so many books still for example teaching the squad that you know the knee shouldn't go traveling past the toes just Parallel. and a couple of years ago, you've you've had a lecture for at the NSCA uh, summit, I believe it was. What was it, 2019, something like that, something around there about the squad, and because I watched that video a couple of times, and I really liked it, you know, because it was so well explained, and I believe that should be at least the minimum standard that we would, you know, should uphold in the, in those teachings
1: yeah again so without uh you're never going to get that through just a certification through through an online you know read a book uh, or whatever uh first of all there's how many there's a unlimited almost unlimited number of different exercises you could do so you can't can't go through each one um but yeah understanding basic biomechanical principles look i i think at a certain point people need to uh do their own self-study, and that's another problem. Is that a lot of people, there's something called a Dunning-Kruger effect where when people have a little bit of knowledge, they think they're experts. It's not until you really start getting a lot of knowledge that you realize how, how little ultimately you know. Uh, and that's that's problematic because a lot of these people that come out with their certifications think, ah, and now I know it all. I'm I don't need to go on, and they end up staying in the same place, they're not trying to further their knowledge base. So I, I wish I had an answer for that. But uh, again, the issues with the quality training are inherent in the field at this mm. point.
0: This is how bro science is evolving, isn't it? Is
1: it? Well, I mean, bro science is gym lore being passed down to other people. So I think that is how a lot of uh, trainers are getting their knowledge. There's, by the way, one of the things I see, just probably the biggest mistake I see all the time is that trainers will train people the same way they train. Everyone gets trained the same. It's not specific to goals and abilities. You know, you get a body build, some bodybuilding guy who will get some fly-by-night certification and he's training grandma you know, sixty-five <laughs> years old, never trained. And he's having to do five sets of, of squats, you know, to failure, and yeah. uh, and four reps. You know, these are just. <laughs> it, it's um, it's it's sad. It, can, we we kind of laugh, but in not only is it sad, I mean they're putting some some people at risk, some of the uh, clients at risk. So
0: shouldn't it shouldn't be that way? And But, you know, I I have to acknowledge, sorry about laughing, but yeah, you know, the bodybuilders training grandma in such a way, I understand because they want to achieve what you study and that's hypertrophy, right? And they, usually I, if it worked for me, it should work for grandma as well. So, but it doesn't, true. But hypertrophy, nevertheless, is one of the most wanted adaptations for any fitness enthusiast, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I, I think... You know, and it's a it's a phenomenon on, on its own. It, it's somehow tricking your body to produce a bigger motor, that is, you know, getting more fuel and everything. It's like you would be building a Chevy Suburban out of a I don't know out of a small Kia. So I understand that, but how did you got into research? You know, the hypertrophy, and I, I remember you talking about a seminar. Uh, on a seminar about that, that no one is willing to pay for a research to find out how you grow your biceps by an inch.
1: Yeah, well, at least in college age males, that's correct. So uh, I, I kind of touched on earlier that my interest in hypertrophy came out of my early obsession with getting bigger because I was this skinny kid uh, and just very unhappy with my physique uh, post, post-college. post And um that led me down that path to uh to wanting to maximize my muscle development and i ultimately ended up training working with a lot of very high-level bodybuilders when i started working as a trainer i uh, made a name for myself in that space and uh, started consulting with and training with a lot of very very high-level bodybuilders including some pros um And as I mentioned, I started going, when I started delving into the research, When before I was actually a researcher educator, um, this goes back to the turn of the century, the late 90s turn of the century, I started to realize how little uh, research there really was on hypertrophy that we were getting, people would make, uh, say that here's what, here are the research-based guidelines for hypertrophy, and they weren't based on studies that actually looked at muscle growth. They were based on like a hormone hypothesis on, on tangential um, uh, findings that were extrapolated to hypertrophy, you know, a muscle protein synthesis study or all, all these types of studies. And I was like, well, we have all these studies where we're starting to get a lot of studies on strength and power and people don't want to study. Bodybuilding, by the way, has always been looked at this, looked at in the, research field, or I shouldn't say always, at least was, because mm. it's changed a lot since I've gotten into the field, certainly for the better. But back uh, the turn of the century, bodybuilding was looked askance. It was basically, they thought of it as this steroid-filled uh, field that we don't want to really get into that space. And, and it really doesn't, hypertrophy, we'll study it because, yeah, there is a relationship between strength, but if we're studying strength, it's just kind of being explanatory, uh, explanative, uh, about why you're getting stronger. We just care about the results. At least that was the way a lot of the researchers were, were going. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when I, I started getting to I said, we need to study this. And right now I'm the kid in the candy store. Uh, so I'm researching basically all the topics that I always wanted to know about when I was a trainer and, and an up and coming bodybuilder. So and, and a trainer of, of bodybuilders so i'm uh, I'm literally now uh in in heaven uh, I, I have my dream job so i'm uh mm-hmm. I'm studying topics that were always of interest to me
0: that is um a very good thing to have I mean like a dream job like that when when you are researching the hypertrophy the hypertrophic effect of of our body, what would you say? is the most common mistake that we as trainers are are making in the gym while training others
1: Hmm. um it's hard for me to say because i don't i am not involved in watching what trainers are doing so i mean i could see online um i don't think there's one specific mistake i think the general mistake is that people are just like we talked about earlier they're going to they're using uh, bro science they're going to what bodybuilders are doing and just saying that that's the best way and of course if you're a bodybuilder you have certainly a high level bodybuilder you are generally going to have great genetics and usually great pharmacology if you know what i mean yeah uh and the average joe who's not on gear and doesn't have the greatest genetics they're not necessarily going to make the same gains that the pro bodybuilders and by the way not only won't you it's kind of somewhat of an apples to oranges comparison but doesn't mean that a bodybuilder just because he's been successful with what he's doing couldn't be getting even better results if he was doing something differently or or she i should uh, to be politically correct yes. um So I think that really that still is a big problem. It was certainly a huge problem when I was coming into the field. And that was the biggest problem the biggest mistake I made was just thinking that I was going to follow, you know, the routines of the great bodybuilders and get similar results, or or even not not even get similar results, but maximize my own genetics that I, I didn't understand at that time. That they were getting results that i wouldn't necessarily get and and that i could be getting better results because what i was doing is not reflective of my genetic uh, potential
0: would you say that you inspired a new generation of scientists that is today next to you delivering you know way more insight into the fitness field in general
1: I'm not sure about that, but I certainly think that I have inspired. I mean, I hear this all the time, so I can say that pretty confidently. I've inspired a new generation of uh, of researchers, particularly young researchers, who want to go into hypertrophy, want to research hypertrophy, and it can just be seen with the amount of research. So, when I came into the field, my first publications, uh, original research, were circa 2010. So. 13, 14 years ago now. And there's been an explosion, you know, people, I guess, started, and look, part of it too, I'm very, um, uh, I'm very uh, social media savvy, for lack of a better term, where I, one of my main goals in life is not only to do research, I'm not, I don't want to sit in an ivory tower like, like it used to be and just publish research that only other researchers read. Mm -hmm. I want to get the research out there to trainers and, and practitioners so that they have evidence-based uh knowledge to to utilize in their training and they don't just rely on on growth science so um i think by being out there and developing a quite a large following on social media people see this and they're like hey this is great stuff and, and mm-hmm. other people say hey why isn't there more stuff on this so i think it's really created an awareness of it and I think it's also uh, created a an understanding that we need to explore this to a much greater extent. And uh, if you look over the past uh, since 2010, we've literally had this explosion of uh, research on hypertrophy. Luckily, luckily, and luckily, and we still have a long way to go. So there's there's room for a lot more researchers who want to want to step up to the plate and uh, and do it.
0: There are quite some names next to you that are definitely worth mentioning, right? I mean, uh, if we just look at your college, the Lehman College in New York, uh, we have uh, Dr. Mike Israel. How, how close do you two work together? Yeah, Mike
1: is a great friend and a colleague. Uh, I will say this, Mike has been incredible in supporting my research, because you, you mentioned before, it's very difficult to get funding for the type of research I do yeah uh if i were to go more into sarcopenia which by the way is an interest of mine which i want to explore further sarcopenia is the age-related loss of muscle that has clinical uh, uh, repercussions so there's you know an effect on society to Mm -hmm. losing muscle as we age and, and certainly getting infirm where you lose independence but for young let's say for bodybuilders you don't the NIA, National Institute of Health, wants to fund clinical research that has implications for health. You know, putting a, an inch on a body, on a young individual's chest or, or arms mm-hmm. just doesn't really uh, make sense to them. So Dr. Israel, Mike, has been really great in terms of funding, providing funding for our research. Uh, you know, I've had some other sources as well that have helped. Um, but he's been really good with that. Um, I've published, I've collaborated on on a few publications with him. And uh, I will say this too, just talking with Mike, I also, um, I'm a a sponge for knowledge. And I look, the best uh, research comes from the field. So Mike is one of the best at taking research and then coming up with theories as to how to put that into practice. Mm -hmm. When Mike then comes up with a theory, I say, you know what? That's an interesting theory. Let me now study that and see if. uh... So I think this it's kind of a give and take that Mm -hmm. uh, you know Mike tends to be more on the practical end, where my my uh, focus at this point is more on the research end.
0: You've had a friend that I was following around on social media for such a long time, and it's so it was so sad to to see what happened. I'm I'm talking about um, the mad dog um you know it's john was just amazing in bringing you know the science field somehow bridging the gap he was the bridge right and i think his teachings will still remain and his words um, still seem to be inspiring a lot of young generation trainers as well which is what something i'm I'm really happy to see as well What, what what was your experience with him
1: John was a great friend. So John, John was a pro bodybuilder. Uh, John did not have the best genetics and he through sheer hard work, diligence and study. So John would early on, I kind of met quote unquote, met John through the internet because he, mm. he originally emailed me asking me quite, he goes, yeah, I am see your research. I'm getting into it. And he would be asking me questions and I would be consulting with him and giving him answers, you know, Hey, you know, I think I've seen this and what do you think of this? And, Um, And we developed a good friendship over the years. And I ended up going down to visit him I was on his YouTube channel. Uh, He wrote the, the uh, forward to uh, my, one of my books. Um, And I think John, like you said, is one of the best was one of the best at uh, taking research and, and Putting it into practice, so uh, using the using his knowledge of training and saying, "Hey, we're seeing this in the research. How does this relate to what I'm seeing? And how can we then merge these mm-hmm. um, this knowledge to put it out there?" And John was constantly refining his approach. And uh, I, I will say this, as I mentioned with uh, Mike Israetel, John was another one who uh, had these ideas that we'd want to put into uh, put into practice in research to say, hey, let's study. Here's what John is doing. Uh, he, he, I know we spoke about this, John and I spoke about this, uh, but he was big on intra-workout carbohydrate, mm-hmm. uh, basically giving people carbs within a workout. And he swore that he was seeing results and uh, he says, you got to do a study on this. And one of these days I, I have a whole list and that is something I want to get around to. But yeah, and like you said, he's someone that still has a lot of content on the internet that's one of the beauties of the internet yeah. that people's people can access that forever and i would highly recommend that people go watch his videos and uh, so much to learn from uh, from john meadows
0: oh absolutely absolutely i enjoyed every bit of it every bit of his content because it was really not it, it wasn't just educational you know from from one side but it was inspiring you know it, he was one of those that was easily bringing you to, come on, get your ass up and get trained, you know. And we, I, I missed that. I missed that. And I, and I know, was it the Max Muscle plan? Was it the forward mm-hmm. he he was um, writing for that one?
1: Yeah, he had a just a great personality. Like he he just had an infectious personality. When you when you met John, you can't not like John Meadows. I, I never met anyone who had a bad word to say about him maybe that exists in the age of the internet you're always gonna get haters i guess but uh yeah but john was someone who basically transcended that and he uh he's just such a real positive guy two two young uh, boys uh, which is yeah. again just a real shame really sweet wife and uh he he is sorely missed
0: absolutely there are some more names on on my list usually when i'm teaching and students are asking me who to follow because otherwise they end up in the arms of certain influences that we do not want them to listen to them. So you are number one that I'm referring to to, to follow. Uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Brad Dieter is as well one of those that I recommend. James Krieger. Then uh, the, the other two parts of the Holy Trinity as you and your two friends, Alan and Brad, I refer to often. Uh, so Brad Contreras, Alan Aragon are definitely you know on my list to follow as well. And a couple of other ones in that field, even uh, we have quite near us in Zagreb, in Croatia, um, uh, Jozo Gorgic, which you were working with as well on a, on a couple of studies. Who, so, who's that? Uh, Jozo Gorgic.
1: Ger- oh, Jozo Gorgic, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you say that a lot better. Yeah. When, when you say <laughs> it, it's kind of hard for me. Yeah, Jozo's a terrific researcher, no, no question. And uh, I've collaborated on dozens of studies with them over the years. Well,
0: finally, well, according to your research we we could find out that the anecdotal things, you know, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and myofibrillar are a thing. so uh, how was how was that working out? How was that research?
1: Well, it's still very preliminary. Like those are difficult topics to study. um. But there is, uh, I would say, preliminary evidence. What I say, there certainly is some preliminary evidence that sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is a thing, and and I want to emphasize that this is something that people still have a misperception about. But sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is not just getting water in the muscle; Mm -hmm. it is the accretion of non-contractile proteins, which do. So protein will necessarily draw it, it's an osmolite. proteins are osmolytes, and they will draw fluid into the cell. So there is a corresponding influx of fluid, but it is not like a temp, it's not like a pump that some people think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, there is some preliminary evidence and there's some preliminary evidence that it is uh, regulated, that sarcoplasmic hypertrophy may be regulated or, or promoted by uh, higher volume training but uh, I would say the evidence remains relatively weak on that we just just don't have enough good evidence for me to give a a strong opinion on
0: understand talking about research and bridging the gap to the practical application what would you say for the average person trainer that is still we we luckily have those that are still seeking more knowledge and trying to dig deep how do they start? How do they can, how can they know or how can we all know which research is relevant or you know might be even some kind of tricky? We, we've been through the through the so-called Netflix documentaries, which we know that it's not really documentary. So how do you know?
1: Yeah, look, um so this is problematic if you are not someone who understands research. It's going to be very difficult for you to uh, to sift through research papers and to draw good conclusions from them. Um, I think at that point uh, you need to be honest with yourself and then follow uh, people who are evidence good evidence based practitioners. You, you have to be able then to sift through the through the good from the bad. And I don't you you certainly named a uh, number of my colleagues. I always hate when I'm asked because there's just so many really good ones. And I mm-hmm. then if I start naming and then I miss one, then I'll get one of my colleagues would be mad at me because I didn't mention that. <laughs> so I, I hate, I'm generally hesitant to do that. But you mentioned uh, st- all the ones you mentioned are excellent choices. And there are, there are certainly a number of others uh, that they can follow. And it, look, I, I mean, for me, if I want to learn about rocket science, now, I mean, I'm a, obviously I'm a, I have a PhD. I'm a researcher. I can conceivably go and start going through research papers but the topics the information is so out of my sphere of expertise that it would be very difficult for me to really understand it what what would i do i would look for people that are rocket scientists and Mm -hmm. uh, and try to gather you know look for their breakdown of what they feel now you you are uh, i would say this you don't want to just rely on one individual generally because you want to get a consensus of opinions because there will be, you know, amongst myself and co- my colleagues, we're going to ag- agree on 90 plus percent of the topics, but there will be some disagreements and uh, and that's good. That's healthy. We have discourse about it. But um, if you get, if you start uh, listening to a number of different quality uh, researchers or evidence-based practitioners, you can then start to say, all right, this person says this, this person says that, maybe I can develop my own, based on my own personal expertise and what I'm understanding Mm. them saying, my own, uh, come to a decision, my own conclusion on that.
0: I think that uh, besides you, besides Brett, besides alan and all of the aforementioned uh lane norton is doing a phenomenal job in breaking things down easily so easy to digest isn't it
1: lane is great so again i wouldn't miss, i mean like i i can say, eric helms is a terrific oh, yeah uh, uh evidence-based practitioner greg knuckles eric trexler uh i could just go on and on so again without missing anyone we could just keep talking and there's so many one of the good things is is that there's really this community now of people um and usually we all follow each other and talk about each other so uh you can you you can get a good idea if you follow one you see who they're following and 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 get insights into who really are quality people to follow
0: i know that you are actually
1: hold on by the way i do want to give Two shout-outs to uh, two people who are actually visiting scholars in my lab now, uh, Pak, I don't even want to pronou- pronounce his name, but it's Patroclus Androlakis, he's from Greece, but as they, he goes by P-A-K, P-A-K, uh, and Milo Wolf, they're two uh, uh, relatively new PhDs and they're doing terrific work uh, and are really terrific. I, I can vouch for them from working with them in my lab. Really terrific evidence-based practitioners. So, well, they're both actually now living in uh, in the UK, in England. But they come to my they actually mm-hmm. just left my lab. They come over for a month or two, uh, work in the lab, then they go back and they come back. So uh, we have a terrific collaborative effort and uh, really terrific people to follow.
0: Oh, definitely. If, if you give me their Instagram handles. Then I'd be more than lucky to put them on screen. And if you uh, just want to scroll down a bit, if you listen to that on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or whatever, you find their handles in the description. So please go and make sure that you follow the right people. And uh, these two guys seem well. If you if you vouch for them, then I will definitely follow them immediately when we stop talking today. And- and, and, and
1: and by the way, uh, just. Another thing came to mind that a lot of my graduating master's students are terrific professionals that uh, I would, I I mean, they have greater knowledge than a number of PhDs. So uh, if they're Lehman College master's degree uh, students or or graduates, give them a follow too.
0: Absolutely. I'm biased, but since I know that you're a bit tight on schedule, um, there's well, basically, one last thing that I want to talk about, which is not connected to hypertrophy, okay. but it is connected to training—not fitness training, though. How is your piano working out? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh,
1: unfortunately, I don't get to play as much as I uh, I like. But yeah, for those who don't know, I uh, I was an aspiring musician when I got when I was in college, and I played in bands for many years, and I studied studied jazz piano with some of the top people in the field, but uh, to really stay good, you need to practice a lot. And my practice is sporadic. So, I mean, I still have good facility when it's kind of like riding a bike and I I can play well, but certainly not the way I used to be able to play. So one of these days uh, I will cut out some more time, but right now I have so many things going on and I'm traveling a lot. So it's difficult.
0: Speaking of traveling, are you one of those that would sit down at a piano at an airport or a train station and play? I,
1: ha- I have done that, yes. How was it? Yeah, I, I just kind of space out myself and don't really pay attention to who's around. So it was good for me. I don't know how <laughs> how it is for everyone else. But yeah, I, I, look, when I'm in an airport and there's nothing else to do, There's why not uh, practice a little? So
0: Absolutely. Brad, thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed it and I would definitely will be um, inviting you back uh, to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. It's really appreciated. Thank you for providing valuable insights and a bit of your story as well. I hope that you will inspire more young researchers to provide more the research on not only hypertrophy, but everything fitness related because we need it. We desperately need it. And you know, if we, if you can inspire more, or if we as an industry can inspire more to be done on that field and to provide higher quality service in a field of fitness, that would be a huge success.
1: Well, thank you so much. And again, thank you for the hospitality you've shown me. Uh, I love Slovenia and good luck with the podcast.
0: Thank you, Brad. Thank you. And that wraps up today's episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe. Click the subscribe button and give us a five star rating on iTunes if you listen on iTunes. We love hearing from you, so share your thoughts and let us know what topics you'd like us to explore in the future episode. Keep pushing forward, and I'll catch you in the next episode of the Next Gen PT.